Wake up, buyer payer people. It's a beautiful day. Go grab yourself another cup of joe and say hello to Jim and Michelle Rhodes on the Buy Here, Pay Here morning show. Take it away, you two. Hey, happy Monday from Utah. Good morning, happy everyone. Happy Halloween Eve. Oh, yeah. Got that happening, right? And, uh, like, I was just realizing I haven't bought any candy yet. Oh, yeah. And, that too. You know, we've we've been on the road for so long and lived in places, apartment or I mean, we had a, a flat in Sugar House uh Salt Lake area um that was kind of more of an adult mm-hmm. place and didn't have trick-or-treaters there. And so it's probably been about four, five years since we've had trick-or-treaters. So mm-hmm. this is the year we pull out some candy and I hope that I measure right because I do not wanna house full of candy and people will eventually figure out in our neighborhood if kids want to uh, get candy <laughs> at our place they have to get here early to beat me to it because yeah. i be munching on this you know i remember my parents used to keep um and and i you know I, I there's good and bad things about this but uh uh they used to keep um like full-sized snickers bars twix bars you know all the stuff that mm-hmm. the kids would want and it's like the the their friends children mm-hmm. would like hey a second i've got some good stuff back there yeah let me go get it for you so i don't know what your traditions are yeah. um but yeah it's tomorrow so yeah happy, it's, it's happy time halloween so the on the a matter of announcements quickly i want to remind our listeners that um wednesday we have uh dealer seth merrifield mm-hmm. joining us and uh He's uh, he's going to talk to us about his decision to reduce his APRs. So yeah. that'll be an interesting conversation yeah. to find out about that. And then mm-hmm. uh, Justin Wallman out of Ohio and Keith Thacker out of, mm-hmm. um, let's see, I think Keith's in Kentucky, Somerset, Kentucky, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And uh, he will be uh, also joining Justin on Friday. Yeah. So yeah, we're going to we, talk through collections, yeah. policies, and kind of ties into our conversation with our guest today, which really want to talk about, you know, is it time to be making adjustments to our policies and, you know, practices over on the collection side? Oh, and uh, before we go into the topic, Mm -hmm. hello to all of our friends out at FIADA. Oh, yeah, we got that. Yeah, they started last night, and Uh so it is running today, and uh, it's it's the first uh, one with their new executive director. Yeah, Mr. Chuck Bonanno, Mm -hmm. and of course our friend Jennifer Finlay is out there. Uh You can see all the, the... uh, fruits of their labor, the, all the work they put yeah, into getting this yeah. uh, event put together looks outstanding. It Wish does. we could be there, yeah, but glad to not be in, in an airport this week too. So, yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So, shall we bring in Mr. Yes, Daughtry? we have a very special guest today. It's first time that um, he's joining us, and um, we're going to go ahead and add him, Gene Daughtry, South Texas, who Mr. is Gene well Daughtry. known um, in the uh, in the buy here, pay here, lease here, pay here world. And has been around just about as long as Jim has. I don't even the, know, Gene. <laughs> maybe longer, Gene. When did you had did did you spend some time in the retail, independent, or franchise business before the buy here payer space? I did. You know, I got back when I was in 1990. I got in, went to a car dealership in South Arlington, Texas, because I needed to make some money. Got kids mm-hmm. to raise and. Yep. Oh, I'll do this until I get a regular job. And, you know, so however many years ago that was, about 33, 34 years ago, I uh, I guess I haven't found a regular job yet. Yeah. So you've been yeah. in the car industry Amen. since uh, the 90s. When yep. did you specifically step into um, buy here, pay here and coaching? 1996. 
Okay. Oh. And I, I started that. I got there coming out of uh, SPIFI, Special Financing. Uh, back in 91, I realized in the retail business, you'd had to have special financing, and it was a new thing. Hmm. A lot of dealers didn't really want to mess with it or didn't have any idea. They were just blowing customers out. And you couldn't buy a car regular lending back in those days if there was a bankruptcy on your credit at all. Mm-hmm. And oh, wow. so there was lots of people that would come in and they were great customers, and, but they had a bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I started looking at that and realizing, you know, that might be the way to go. Let's look at how to get people into cars that have this, you know, bankruptcies and things. Right. And that rolled into buy here, pay here. Gotcha. Right on. So you did that with that same organization. Or with your place. You opened What's your own that? or you, you say you did oh, that? No, 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 no. It was, uh, I've always been uh, a consultant, I guess, after I got started in the business and I uh, um, I went to uh, a dealer, Sewell, a Sewell organization in Dallas, and I helped them. They wanted to build a new, buy, they had Buy Here, Pay Here in a big finance company, but they wanted something different and built. And I knew someone that was going to be involved in that, and, and they brought me in to help them. Let's make this business. So we create, built a building that you took in Western Auto and tore down most of it and made a new facility and designed and set up how it was going to operate and all of those things. And so I really got a taste for that. And, and I stayed there for a while. Um, and then someone approached me um, through our friend Ken Shilson and, uh, uh, you know, that wanted to put together a buy here, pay here store. And this dealer was a Ford Lincoln Mercury dealer in uh, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that was what I really thought, hey, this will be a great, I'm going to test everything that I thought was the right way to do this business and how I really felt like it would succeed. Right. And so I took that plan there and, and created a place called Best Ride that still functions today. And that was in 2004 when I opened that place up. Wonderful. Um, so. Hugo piped in and said that you're, you've been in the auto industry since before Henry Ford. Yeah, yeah, that's you go. As in, as this, this is he was sitting at the desk behind me, so he doesn't really need to be saying too much, you know. (laughs) Right. So I got to ask quickly on the uh, uh oh, I think Gene's freezing. We might have an internet delay down there, but um, the uh, the you're back now, so on our side at least. So the uh, the thing I want to ask quickly, you mentioned the Sewell organization. I want to say Eric Bachelor. I'm guessing you know Eric at Alamo Financial. Mm -hmm. I think Eric oh, yeah. had, had came by way of the Sewell. the Sewell organization as well. Did you know him in those years? Oh yeah, Sewell. Yep. Yeah, I know. Okay. Eric, I knew Eric, and we just talked recently. So yes, yeah. sir. Yeah, how about um, that? So, you know, Good that stuff. Was all part of that deal. You know, it was uh, in the early '90s. Uh, Lexus, Cadillac. You know, we that's what we were selling at the buy here, play here, buy here, pay here place. Mm-hmm. Uh, because all these doctors, lawyers, judges, I mean, we, I did a federal judge. There was a lot of big people that you would not never see at a buy here, pay here store mm-hmm. showing up to get a car because they wanted a three or four year old Lexus. And we had them because we were connected to Sewell. So. Right. Very good. So we want to get to the subject at hand and I'm going to invite you to kind of take the long version here. Cause I saw, you know, I, I saw your comments. We did a poll uh, not long ago in, um, uh, the BHPH success group and had pretty good interaction on that. A lot of people chimed in on this question about, 
you know, are you in recent months or in light of the economic struggles, are you clamping down with your collections policies or are you, you know, get more flexible? Are you and staying so the re- standard? Yeah, the results like the were pretty well. interesting. And then you chimed in and kind of gave and, you know, kind of your perspective on it, which made me realize, you know, you and I kind of see a lot of the same stuff. We see, you know, some of the same things happening in, in the organization. I wanted to have you share kind of what your perspective is on, you know, we'll end up in collections, but first maybe let's go back and talk about what you observed through the COVID spike and inventory shortage spike and kind of that, that leads us to where we are in collections today. And to take your time, just tell the long version. Well, um, you know, when COVID came around, everybody was, uh, you know, we're going to lose 40% of our value on our lending. The banks are going to roll us all up and shut down all of our lines of credit. And, and um, you know, that was what I was hearing. And everybody was like, you know, you got to stop. Don't do anything. But the opposite started taking place. The lenders adjusted because they couldn't take that, let's call it a bloodbath, that would have taken place if they would just, you know, devalued, but the cars went the other way. Uh, The value shot up, the uh, inventory, it was hard to get enough cars. You couldn't really find enough of them. And the customers had money and they Mm -hmm. had free time and they started piling in and they were just buying everything. And uh, that's what was really taking place. Well, the dealers responded um, you know, I, I can't keep I can't keep 10 cars on the lot, but I'm out buying what used to take you two or three hours online and maybe one day to your favorite auction. Now is five, six hours a day online or going to sales and trying to find enough cars. And so that that frantic grind started happening and the prices, uh, you know, just went up with the cost of the vehicles and the recon uh, went up because you couldn't get enough parts. And, you know, everybody was in this, this struggle uh, to, to, to grab the opportunity because there was so much opportunity with the business, uh, you know? And so uh, I think that we started doing things in the industry that we would have never done the year before that. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Jim and you and I, we could have all sat down and talked and, you know, three or four or three years ago and said, hey, you're going to do 52 months or 60 yeah. month financing on this right. 2012 Malibu. Uh huh. Not a chance. <laughs> no <laughs> way. I'm going you to get laughed out of payments. the room. Yeah. yeah. And what are we doing? Boom. We're doing that. You know, yeah. and uh, uh, we're, we got $600 car payments out there. Mm. And, um, you know, and, 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 I was uh, with a dealer this past week and, you know, his comment to me was, you know, we were having this same similar conversation. His comment was, it's the same customer. We're still dealing with the same customer. Right. And, uh, but I, you know, you can't, you can't blame the dealers. They, they, the forest for the trees. It's just, Uh here it is. We're working and grinding and there's money coming in and, you know, and, we're on the other side of that now, you know, so we were doing these huge term car loans for huge dollar amounts that we would have never considered before with payments that the customers are agreeing to. And, uh, you know, it was a frantic uh, time. Yeah. And, then, uh, um, you know, as the, the money started to wane in different parts of the country, uh, you know, the, the everything started to slow down. I talked to dealers during that COVID period that were 92% current on their accounts. And they're thinking, I'm going to get rid of a couple of collectors because we're doing so good. And it's like, you got to look past that. 
Yeah. Don't do that because what you're in is is uh, unicorn rainbow land yeah. right now, and it will real pop. world's coming. Yeah. So don't you know? Let's just enjoy the ride. But let's yeah. don't get you know too outside of it. And mm -hmm. there were some dealers that I spoke to at conferences and things, and they were uh, not buying any cars. I can't stand to pay that price for that vehicle, uh, which would have a year before all of this would have been our natural reaction. Right? You know, we're not mm -hmm. buying those cars for that. And they didn't, and some of them really got hurt kind of badly. And then there was other guys that just covered their eyes and just, come on, let's go, 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 and bought, 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 and just held their hand up forever, and we'll get mm -hmm. what they can. And um, this is a hangover from that period of, of the frantic, you know, you could call it the drunken party in time, and it was crazy, and now it's the frantic time on the other side. Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, and so... Um, you know, everybody's portfolio, the people that just kept going and going and going's portfolio is, let's use the word polluted with deals that you would have not done three years ago. You'd have never done them. Right. And we all have them, or at least everyone that I'm helping and work with and all that, they just have, have them. And there were some places that it went further than that. Um, uh, you know, I never kiss and tell, but I was at a dealer. I did a lot of work for over the last year not only did they raise their prices to accommodate the gross margin on what they were paying for the vehicles, they raised it up higher. They went from oh, wow. six to 10 mm. on their front gross. And it was still that 2012 Malibu and those fusions wow. and those same cars. Yeah. And uh, it was just rolling, you know, it was just mm. rolling And at 150 units a month for two, almost two years of that, you can imagine, you know, where they are now. Right. And so, um, you know, so it, it, it was a crazy time. COVID was, uh, scary and then it was exhilarating and exciting, but now we're on the other side of it. And that's where, you know, the insurance isn't going to pay anything for those cars. And, you know, right. and so, yeah, so I think that, that's what I've been seeing is, is that, uh, you know, the, it's the opposite, you know, so. Yeah. So what are you seeing today in terms of we're, we're just seeing it anecdotally, like we're not in the lanes buying. And so I wonder, you know, we hear from dealers that they think they're seeing some softening of prices. Are you seeing or hearing that? Yeah. And okay. I've been seeing and hearing that for a little while. Um, you know, it, it's hard to come back down, you yeah. know, after we went up, I, I'm so old. I was here in 2008, you know, whenever gas, bounced on the ceiling up there and in the market I was in $4 a gallon gas was, was way high. Of course, right. parts of the country, it was over six back in those sure. days. And I used to repossess three or four cars a month and we repossessed 50 in the month wow. of June after the gas hit $4 a gallon because wow. we rolled all those heavy rigs out, you know, expeditions, trucks and things like sure. that. And, and um, people and just brought them back. I just can't pay for it. I can't buy gas to even drive to work in it. Yeah. And you weren't ready to pivot into financing Shetland ponies. So you had no, to. No, that's exactly <laughs> right. You know, I mean, <laughs> but you know, I might have done that. You know yeah. what? And in uh, Arkansas, yeah. I probably could have took a couple of work. I, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was, I was, you know? okay, I have a squirrel. Okay. This'll Can I squirrel you for just Jean. a second? Is yeah. I, I saw this uh, meme the other day that said, um, uh, there was a time when everyone had a horse and only the rich had a car. 
nowadays everyone has a car and only the rich have a horse. Yeah, we're going to start financing Shetland ponies. Yeah, but I think, uh, you know, I often think about, you know, the world's changing. I think what you and mm -hmm. I can say is that, you know, dealers, well, let's say this. I think we can all agree that there's still going to be a poor credit segment yeah. five and 10 years from now, right? As long as we have right. a credit system, right. there will be a segment that doesn't manage money very well or falls into difficult circumstances. So there's always going to be that segment. And while the mode of transportation may change, you know, down the line in terms of what we actually, you know, how we get back forth to work, the reality is there's still going to be a need for the folks who for do what our dealer clients yeah. do, right? There's still going to be a need for people to provide that solution in a, in a poor credit environment. Mm -hmm. So if we stay in kind of what you're seeing today, you know, we're seeing spikes and charge offs and repos, you know, and obviously we've, I think the last number I saw was that year over year in 2023 bankruptcies were up like 17%, you know, so that's another indicator of, you know, hard times across the country. So I'm just wondering what you're seeing, like from your dealers, part of the reason we're having these conversations, I think you heard us say that we we have people coming to talk about one, just one dealer made a decision to lower their APR. We have gathered dealers that are asking questions about how should I be adjusting my collection policies in terms of extensions and modifications mm -hmm. and all those kind of things. We're going to talk about that on Friday, but I wonder just, you know, when you come into today, car prices are starting to soften a little bit, which means that, you know, eight-year-old car that some dealers were buying with 100,000 miles, that car's got a different profile now. I mean, we saw it jump sharply, right, during the COVID thing. Now, now it may never go back to work, well, but it's, it's softening some. So it's like, where does that leave us in terms of what, what are you recommending in terms of proactivity? What steps are you advising folks to start to take now to, uh, to kind of soften any impact? Well, you know, I mean, the thing is, is that I've uh, always was trying to tell people the last year and a half is stay disciplined, stay mm -hmm. disciplined. It's difficult, um, but you have to look at underwriting. You have to have some underwriting. It's sure. amazed me how many right. dealers I've ran into that underwriting was cash down and yeah. you're breathing. Sure. You know, you don't, you'll take a car with $3,000 down, you can have it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, then their collections were a nightmare way before now. Um, uh, but I don't want people to overreact. So I'm talking yeah. about let's work on you have what we talked about a few minutes ago. We're in the drunken stage. You've got cars on the books that people are paying five, six hundred dollars a month for hundred. I saw the weekly average payment go from ninety five to one hundred and thirty five. And I've seen wow. higher than that. Wow. And um and that's a huge weekly payment. And I, mm -hmm. I was always upset when mine got closer to a hundred. I'm like, Oh my. Yeah. And so, um, customers are tired. Our customers will not keep a car 18, 24 months. That's it. It's the same customer. Right. It's the same car. They don't want to keep it. They're not going to take care of it. And it's, they're having, more expenses against their income and their company may be slowing things down because of the economy. So they got less money and they still got that big car payment and yeah. their friends, their uncle, their cousin, whoever is going out today and buying a car and getting the same car for 450, 475 a month, you know, and yep. it's like, well, I'll just dump this one and go get me one of those. Right. And so I think that we're seeing that, 
and a combination of our customers. You put a little pressure on them, they buckle. They used to always buckle. I'll just come get the dang thing. You know, yeah, yeah, sure. I, I got to get the get the filter on. I'm not at the car lot, so That's right, yeah, but yeah, careful. just come get it. <laughs> yeah. And so you know, and uh, so my advice is to the customers that you talk to and your collectors have relationships with, do you want to keep your car, Mr. Customer? Uh, you know, is there some way that we can help you before the customer makes up their mind? Cause as soon as they make up their mind, I'm giving the car back. You're not turning them around generally. Right. And so it's gotta be a bit of a proactive, let's see who's starting to have trouble and are they still amenable to have a conversation? And then let's look at some form of a modification that as a dealer, you can tolerate to help these customers keep those cars longer. Yeah. Uh, I think we all know repossessions should make you money. At least they should have, they should have been making, making you money. Uh, you know, when you have your, your, your CRR number and you run your last 10 repossessions and go through that exercise against your cash and deal, your repossessions as an aggregate should make some money. Nowadays they're not, you know, the charge offs are huge and it's because of the upside down part of it. And, and, uh, the, uh, the, the lenders and the insurance companies and all those people are not going to keep, they're not keeping up. They're moving quicker to drop the values of what they're willing to do. Sure. Yeah. So Tyler Simmons, uh, I, you know, I'm going to pull that back up yeah. because this is something that's been going through my head for yeah, the last few minutes listening to this. You got me to read it. Go ahead. Um, the long game is pricing and underwriting with the mentality of the long game of trading them in at 18 to 24 months that yeah. window. So when we break that mm-hmm. down, Gene, I think that's kind of where I'm sitting over here thinking in terms of, you know, how, if I were a dealer today, how I might want to, you know, navigate some of this. And I think m- among the things is I would look at the the value of the car, you know, relative and, and look, even outside these weird circumstances, we know customers are upside down in a buy here, pay here deal. They know they're upside down. I think what we hear now is though, what's, you know, some of that is super inflated, right? We've got these high prices and sometimes high car payments to go with them long contracts. And so I'm just thinking one of the things I can do is I can, I can modify a contract, but, but that still leaves me sitting with a, um, you know, customers upside down, a big node, I'm never going to collect the whole thing anyway. So I would like to be proactive and try to, you know, figure that out. And one of the ways you could do that is trading the customer, yeah. because now instead of a charge off, I can, I can manage those numbers a lot better in a trade scenario. Um, and I'm still, so I think really the question for me would be if, if you're advising a dealer, like, would you say the same thing I might, which is, you know, look, we, we own that paper, but it's, that's not real. That those assets on that, on that balance sheet are, are not real. We're never going to collect, you know, that amount of money. So if we're going to lose the contract, should we also lose the customer? My, my approach has always been, look, just cause we lose the car, car breaks down or might, mm-hmm. you know, might need to do something different. The con- I hate to lose the customer. So if I can find a way to eat some of that, you know, imbalance and be proactive and get them in, you know, 18, 24 months. I love it, Tyler. I, I'd certainly be looking to trade the customer, you know, often, uh, but that's a whole different conversation, I think. But if we just think trading them early for a lot of dealers, 36 months right now, Gene, would be early, right? Yep, it would be. There's there's a few, a few, but not very many. I have. It's been a while since I actually ran up against somebody that their average loan still in the 150 week range, you know, 36 yeah. months. And and so uh, 
it is uh, not an easy solution at this point. Like Tyler's saying, going forward to start to pressure your lending back to kind of the way the thinking was been three years ago, you know, yeah. what, and, and let's get a reasonable income. Uh, you know, what is the debt to income ratio for a car payment? Uh, you know, if you talk to some lenders, it's 18% is the max you should do 20%. Uh, I was at a place 28% of mm-hmm. their, of their net pay and they loosely, verified it and rolled the cars. There was almost no other underwriting. The the pressure under the same thing when we went through COVID and the the speed of we only got so many cars, customers got big money, they're rolling in. We don't want them walking out the door. We're just hooking them up. And we started the as and I say we as a group, a lot of dealers started backing away from what can we how can we reduce the time from walking in to driving out? And some of that came down to almost nothing. Right. You know, it's hard to verify. It, it takes a little bit of work, privacy laws, and no one wants to tell you anything. And, mm-hmm. and it, you know, so again, the forest for the trees, and we kind of morphed into the situation of we got a body, they got down, they like a car, they're going, you know, and we got to get back to is it sensible? Does it make sense for that customer to buy? that car and can they actually afford it? So there has to be some exercise there. And I, uh, my, the last dealership that I operated was in Indianapolis and in Dallas, two different stores, same company. Um, and, uh, we had a ride refresh program back then, you know, it was the same thinking cars get total, you know, things happen, they start to break down. And so we set up uh, 18 months, we would take you out of your vehicle and put you into another vehicle and the car that you had, we would just take the car in, satisfactorily settle that loan and start a new loan and Mm -hmm. not let the inequity of that car affect you if that's what you wanted to do. The idea was to have customers that were uncomfortable with high mileage cars. I don't want to drive this for too long. How, you know, those, those were conversations that we were having. Yeah. And so then it became, uh, well, here's a way you don't have to worry about it. If you pay good and you meet these certain, you know, requirements we have and the car is within a certain mileage, we'll just pull you out of it, put you in another one. Yeah. And we'll take, you know, whatever we got on the profit on the old loan or wherever we were, which they made money, against the cash and deal and we just did a nice fresh loan and off we go. Uh, I find a lot of dealers that want to take somebody out of a car uh, or the car, the customer needs to trade or something happens, they wreck the vehicle and there's a deficit unpaid amount of money, a deficiency, and they just want to roll it into the new loan. And yeah, the customer will get to it. I don't prefer that. I don't. I'd rather you didn't do that because I, the old loan, wherever it landed, that's where it landed. Let's have a nice clean one because if that car gets wrecked and you pile three grand into sure. it from the old car, you're really never going to get it. But right, yeah, and that's good. I I think you're really going down that same road. I think that when I hear mm-hmm. Tyler's comments and I think about what I just heard you say, it's like it it starts to kind of. Um, make a case for dealers to look at leasing. You know, we're encouraging dealers who are new to the business to take a hard look at leasing before they step into the business. Because, you know, if you think about that model that I basically heard you describe another dealer was doing, it's sort of like 
look, Mr. Customer, maybe this is never said, but the, the business model is sort of, look, I'll keep you in cars. You keep me in car payments, you know, is sort of the idea. And so mm -hmm. you're able to trade more frequently. And I think if we apply that now to if dealers were to trade a customer who's in a pretty tough inequity situation right now, even if their payment stayed the same, even if the customer's got the income and can support the payment they've got, I think what it lets us do is, is, is in a strategic way, mm -hmm. start to eat some of the inequity. And I would say dealers need to be prepared to eat some of that. Now we, some of us have lenders behind us and, you know, we got to have to communicate with our lender about what right. that's going to do to our P and L and our balance sheet. But in reality, as I said, that's, that's not real. Those assets aren't really real anyway. I recorded, how long has it been, Michelle? I recorded something, gosh, it's been two years ago, probably a year and a half anyway, about this very thing back then it was like, you know, we're, we're, we're playing a dangerous game. We're, we're, we're playing with some false assets potentially. And that's when, when we're, when we're looking at our balance sheet and thinking we got X amount of receivables and we know that some of that's never going to make it to the bank, then, then I'm just advocating for proactivity yeah. is really what it boils down to. Kind of what I'm hearing too, is it is a prime time to start a trade-in program. Yeah. It's really, it's a good time. A lot of people that, you know, they're upside down and their pay or their payments are, are too high for them or whatever. And it's like, yeah. and let's figure out how to, how to set the, set it, set it, reset yeah, and get them into something that they can afford. And, and that is newer. Yeah. I mean, we, we would, and I have had many conversations with customers about just get us to tax time and then we right. will trade you out, you know, and this is a good mm -hmm. period of that time of year mm -hmm. oh, where yeah. if you could just have that conversation with the customer, you know, yeah. just keep us, keep us current until we can get to a point of tax time. If you got one of the, you know, tax max, or if you've got, uh, even if you don't use tax max, but you have, uh, um, I mean, we took the risk ourselves in some places where we would just assume that they were going to receive a certain amount of tax dollars back based on the history and their situation. And, you know, $1,500 was usually the maximum amount. We would go ahead and create a special payment or a, mm -hmm. a deferred down payment, depending on where we were out into the first month of first week of March and, mm -hmm. uh, or, but if it was going to take three or $4,000, it's like, if you can just get us there, your car's running, I know you're ready for something else, but, and then we can get you out of it, you know? And, um, so it's, it's, it's going to take some creative thinking and leasing, leasing, I tell a lot of people, leasing is something to look at. Leasing is an avenue to go down for those reasons where there's a residual and you are just, let's just keep rolling them through car after car, just like new car leasing is. Let's mm -hmm. keep them in the car. Let's have a loyalty program. Let's pull them out three months before the lease ends and, you know, make it real painless on them. And let's do that and try to maintain your customer base. So you're not out searching for lots of right. huge customers. Yeah. Know? And I, I, Tyler popped in again and it's, I mean, I, there's, uh, we, we very frequently, it's like, we like what that, what he has to say. If you begin the process now, then in 24 months, the customer will likely have the opportunity to get into a better car for the same payment as prices continue to come down. Help customers understand that now and keeping them from going to the guy down the street. It is, thank you, Tyler. It is, it's playing the long game and it's about 
communicating with your customers about their options and, you know, communicating a new program or communicating. So it's more, it's not about, Hey, you're defaulting on your loan, you know, um, uh, poke, poke, poke. Uh, it's a carrot. Hey, you know, uh, the, if, if you, if you're, if you're, um, current at the time of tax time, then we're going to trade you out or whatever it is that, that you're, that whatever it is that the dealer thinks that they can, they can work within those, within those, um, those windows. And even if like they're, they're really far behind say, okay, can you stay current until here? I mean, like continue to make your payments. We'll look at this, you know, this, uh, balance in arrears, but just make your payments, make your normal payment and then come in at tax time and let's do this at tax time and get this, get it all balanced out and figured out and get you in a new ride. Yeah, good. I like it. I like it a lot. Part of what was in that uh, poll that you put online, Jim, was about are you tightening up? Are you getting more strict? Are we cracking down on the customer? Uh Which I'm really, that concerns me a lot more than anything. Our customers are still our customers. They they, uh, buckle in a heartbeat, you know. Yeah. Uh, and they can't control a lot of things and they don't budget well and their yeah. income is already strained. And and, uh, and so putting more pressure on them is not going to improve your collections. Right. Uh, I yeah. see people that have uh, starter interrupts and mm-hmm. they went to using them as effective tool to using them as a bullwhip. And so, you know, you miss your pain. I don't, I, you guys may know that I was a fractional COO of an operation in Chicago for 17 right. months or for over a year and a half. And I went there and the original conversation I had with the people that owned that company was our, you know, our portfolio has gone down by almost half. Uh, and it was at 36 million when I got there. So it was down from nearly 70. Mm. But our collections, our delinquency rates over 90%. And so you, Jim, probably had the same thought that I did right then. I'm like, okay, so your collection department is wrecking your market mm-hmm. and you have no repeat business. And right. of course, I got mm-hmm. to the dealership and talked Amen. to the salespeople. And, and so that was what was happening. And if, and that's Chicago, 8 million people. You got yeah. an infinite market. Let's yeah. go to small town, uh, you know, Arkansas. It don't take very long in the grapevine for everybody to know y'all are too rough and we're not going <laughs> to be able to buy a car from you. So right. dealers yep. and, and people in general, I try to say to them, there are so many people that do not ever consider coming to your lot for whatever they're hearing out there in the grapevine. And so you may think everything's kind of OK, but if you're being too strict, too rough on the customers, they're talking about that and the people that are hearing that will never consider, they will not call, they do not go to your website because they've already heard you're tough to deal yeah. with. And, yeah. and yeah. so there's the the balance, you know, the give and tell. You can't be too rough on the customers. They're going to give up. They're going to give you your car back. Um, and I can go into other stories. They're going to drive it into the river. They're going to have a bonfire <laughs> with it. I've had some of those things happen. So, yeah. so we don't want to do that. Let's don't be too yeah. rough either. Let's, Mm-hmm. I want co- collectors and I don't, you know, this is not what we're really talking about, but collectors, I really train a lot of them mm-hmm. and I want them to be more relationship oriented and know that what they do can affect the sales department and they can cause repossessions. 
So it's really about the conversation. Where are you at, Mr. Customer? Is everything going to be okay? What does the future look like? How can we help you more, you know, to get yeah. them to tell you something? And again, Jim, we probably wouldn't have done that three years ago necessarily. I don't want to, I don't want to ask them how the car is because they're going to tell me, you know, <laughs> now you kind of want to know what's, what's going on with the customer and, and where the situation's at and see if you can find those folks that I'm just struggling to hang on and, and offer them, you know, the collectors have some way to get with the person that owns the company or the decision maker and say, Hey, Miss Jones is probably about to go out on us because she's just really struggling payment to payment. Yeah. Can we offer something to her? You know, proactively think about that. Two things. Um, Our, 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 collectors are probably the most important hires um, in, in our organization. Cause if, if you've got good people that can really communicate and I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, that's where most of our business is, is in the, the ability to collect. And the other thing is, is how can we be angry and want to clamp down on something we created because our customers didn't see a change in income. They didn't see a change in, you know, it's like they've always been able to afford X. We're the ones that came out and said, and, and, and we had to, we had to shuck and dive based on the, the cost of cars and all that. But right. we're, we're really going to clamp down on a situation that they didn't do anything to change. They needed a car and that's what their only options were. And so we put them in a car that we knew from past experience, they can't afford. Well, kind of take it full circle back to where we started. We can wrap up here, Gene. I'd love to have you on again in the future yeah. to go through some of the math about, you know, uh, some months ago I did a, a created a little spreadsheet and we did an episode around this idea of trading. What does it look like? What does the math look like if we trade the customer on certain intervals, you know? So I'd love to have you back and have you part of that conversation. And I think for today, you know, what I'm hearing and, and what Michelle said there is that, you know, the, the reality is the, Customers may be asked to pay more now. Payment may be higher. And now, in addition to that, they've got all these other costs. You know, you and I are paying more at the grocery store and the gas pump, you know, and so we know that's the reality. So it's like Mm -hmm. that just means that customers got more pressure. And when we when we put too much pressure, then we can expect to end up with too many, too many Mm -hmm. cars back. And I don't think that's the outcome. I don't think that's what dealers are really looking for. So I think um you know, it's just an opportunity to be able to step in and think a little yeah. proactively and start because I do think the time is right. If car prices are starting to soften or at least flatten, then, you know, you, it's a good time to develop a strategy. And I think in one of our recent shows, I said, you know, what we'd be advising our clients is, look, let's let's make like a 24 month strategy and let's reassess. You know, let's see where we're at in two years because the world will be different by then and we'll have a lot more you know, benefit of new information. But I, th- I think, you know, what I'd like to see our dealers do is let's let's map out pretty closely what the next two years needs to look like. And, you know, factor in if we got a line of credit in the background, we need to yeah. you know, factor in how we navigate. And, and if I'm sure. a lender, I would love getting the strategy. I'd love getting the two year yeah. strategy from my dealer. Right. Well, like Tyler said, I mean, you know, thinking about it now. In, in two to three years, your entire business is going to be different anyway. Right. So it's right. like, let's start now instead of getting behind yeah. that curve. Yeah, for sure. Call it a loyalty program. Create a loyalty program. Create and, a loyalty you know, program. Decide <laughs> what you're going to do with that loyalty program and then have it in your back pocket every time the collectors like yep. 
the moral of the story. Yeah. <laughs> and and just a, work with those collectors. You know, you said something about collectors being the most important. I'll just throw this one thing out there. It is not a placeholder job. And I hear that so much. I need yeah. a body. It is not a need a body job. It is a very important part of the, the bit. The whole business surrounds that. I, I talk all day about this, but service departments that believe their service departments and not collection support is another issue that we're running into as well. Yeah. Um, the service department at Buy Here, Pay Here is collection support. It needs to be thought of that way. We're here to help collections. We're here to not just get the car in, get the car out. And how much can we get, you know, to yeah. do the repair and, and, uh, uh, and not support collections. So, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, it can't be a placeholder, you know, that job's important. So we definitely oh, yeah. need to remember that part of it. And, and, and tightening up is just not thinking about that part of it. So. Most, most days it's not a fun job, right? So, you know, it can be depending on the nature of the relationship we have with the customers, but, mm -hmm. but we do get beat up a lot in that role. And so we need to be prepared for that and make sure our people are well compensated, rewarded well for we're doing yeah. that job and and uh just to, with the collection i know we can do a whole nother show on like how we can help our collectors but i i worked in an industry where i had a team all across the u.s and we dealt with um getting past a date of refund and we'd have you know angry people and the more tools you can give your collectors to defuse the situation and to create a solution the better so it's like get creative and that trade-in program is a great tool for a collector to be able to to pull out and it's like well how does this work and so I, I, I know absolutely anticipate the problems we're the experts all of the dealers we got all the experience the customers yeah. don't so anticipate yeah. the problems Good. find as many ways you can say yes as you can right and work with the customers mm -hmm. and don't clamp down too hard Good. on them. And some of them are going to take advantage of you. You're going to feel that way, but it's yep. a people business and we just have to navigate that. I like that. I like that as a good place to end. I've always said that sometimes our customers don't know how to solve their own problems. And uh -huh. so sometimes we share those problems with them. So this is a good <laughs> chance for us to step in and help That's get true. busy figuring out solutions. We've gone really long today. Yeah. It's been a great conversation. Yeah, thanks, Gene. Gene. Thank you. you no Thank problem you so at all, much. you guys. Um, we're gonna, another time. Uh, we would love to have you. Um, we're going to, I'm going to put you backstage. If, if you'll stick around for a minute until the broadcast is over so that we can um, say a, a proper thank you. Okay. No problem. All right. Stand thank by. you so Thanks. much. You All right. Yeah. Good, good conversation. Yeah. That was a pretty, pretty good and rich. Not I, surprising. I feel like Gene and I could talk about this stuff all day. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. it's like uh, it's, but yeah, thanks, Gene, for joining. And uh, just a quick reminder: we got Seth Merrifield on uh, on Wednesday, and then Justin Walman, Keith Thacker on Friday. So come back and see us. All right, thanks so much for joining us, everybody. Have a great day.